The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinak. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinak. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Today, we're honored to have with us Kevin Cohen, president of Fannie Mae Brands. And if time allows, we'll wrap up today's show with news and notes surrounding the retail packaging industry, inbound and outbound marketing, and dealing with major retailers. But first, Back to our featured guest and Fannie Mae Brands. Fannie Mae Brands is currently comprised of three brands, Fannie Mae Confections, Fannie Farmer, and Harry London, with manufacturing and distribution headquarters located in Ohio and marketing services located in Chicago. Fannie Mae is a multifaceted business comprised of company-owned stores, franchised retail stores, wholesale, e-commerce, fundraising, and business gifts. Fannie Mae is owned by 1-800-Flowers, the world's leading florist and gift shop, which purchased these brands back in 2006. The first Fannie Mae retail store was opened by H. Teller Archibald in 1920 at 11 North LaSalle Street in Chicago. During World War II, while other companies chose to change their recipes when ingredients were scarce, Fannie Mae stuck with its exact recipes, making only what it could often, which meant closing shops early because no more candy was available. Never was the taste of candy compromised. Back in 1934, Fannie Mae had opened 48 stores in Illinois and surrounding states. In 1946, just after World War II, Fannie Mae created its most well-known candy to date, the Pixie, by pouring caramel over nuts and then placing them on a conveyor to be drenched in chocolate. Nothing wrong with that. Today, the brand is celebrating its 95th anniversary by thanking its fans for their loyalty and making them one of the most loved, beloved brands in Chicago. To celebrate its 95th anniversary, the brand has been doing daily giveaways on social media to promote its entire portfolio of sweet treats. In commemoration of the brand's 95th anniversary, Fannie Mae has launched a limited collection of revival confection tins. An ode to the brand's beginnings, the tins feature classic brand artwork with a colorful and modern twist. The collection includes revived and vibrant colors of iconic flavors, including Pixies, Mint Melloways, Meltaways, I'm sorry, Bridge Mix, and Colonials. Kevin Cohen, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with me today. Well, there's a lot of cool stuff happening, and I know we've got a ton of, ton of things to dig into. So, so for me, it's kind of like, 
What a great story on this wonderful collection of chocolate brands. Let's start there. There was Fannie Mae, as we know, but where and when did the connection with Harry London take place? Well, actually, through a series of acquisitions. Um, so 1-800-Flowers actually acquired uh, the brand um, back in the uh, 2005 period when they had acquired some other chocolate brands as well, including um, Fannie Mae uh, and Fannie Farmers, um, which is a third brand. And Harry London in North Canton manufactures the chocolate then ships to Fannie Mae stores and, and other retail outlets. Do I have that right? You have that right. That's correct. Now, how many Fannie Mae stores are there, and are there Harry London stores, or is that mainly the manufacturing um, facility? No, for, for, for the Fannie Mae stores, we have over 80 stores, um, and the Harry London brand, we just have um, our headquarters stores located right there in Canton, Ohio. Absolutely, and it's beautiful, Canton, Ohio. I've got a few. I just remember the days. Do they still do the big, uh, the big tours for the Chocolate Factory like Willy Wonka? We do. Actually, it's uh, quite interesting each day seeing the, the buses pull up. And, you know, we just uh, broke a record uh, just recently where we had almost 500 people come, came through the store for um, one particular day. So, yeah, quite, a, quite an interesting place to be. Well, I'll tell you, I, I remember going past there a lot back in my days and seeing the buses and they just line up because they can't wait to see the candy store and the chocolate factory. So good for you guys for keeping it alive because that's a thrill for everybody. Yeah. Who now, I find it fascinating. Sorry? Yeah. Who wouldn't want to be in a chocolate factory? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. Now, I find it fascinating. The business of candy and chocolate continues to evolve, meaning it's no longer just the bricks-and-mortar stores, if you will. It's wholesale and e-commerce and fundraising and business gifts. Is there any one segment like e- e-commerce or fundraising that's a clear-cut growth or profit leader for Fannie Mae? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think, well, obviously, in general, uh, the consumer segment, e-commerce, is a growing channel, and that we don't see that um, declining. We see that that will continue to be, you know, um, uh, a big channel going forward. I think um, most people now have really adapted to purchasing um, that way. And obviously with delivery being um, enhanced significantly now, including same-day delivery, that's going to continue to be a growth channel. Um, Our wholesale channel also is a, you know, actually all of our channels growing, but I'd say from a, opportunistic standpoint of view, I think the consumer channel will be the biggest growth channel percentage-wise. And when you say the consumer channel, that's the brick-and-mortar kind of stores, if you will? No, I'm sorry. The consumer, we call that is our e-commerce, you know, um, our website business. And I think, by the way, and I know just a quick side note, I mean, the way, and we'll get into the other brands that kind of evolve around the 1-800-Flowers um, kind of setup or umbrella, if you will. But it's fascinating to watch as a marketing guy how you guys integrate um, all the different websites into that umbrella. So, um, and it's just a quick side note be- between the, you know, the Popcorn Factory and obviously Fannie Mae, um, you've got this great synergy that happens between all these brands all under that 1-800-Flowers umbrella. And it's just fascinating how you guys keep, keep that. It's a machine and you got it, you got it running very smoothly. Well, thank you. 
Now, does Fannie Mae and Harry London, do they produce private label? When you talk about wholesale, is that is that private label kind of candy and chocolate for other companies? Well, it's both. I mean, obviously, our, you know, our branded business is our most important business for us. Um, but, yes, we do a private label as well. Uh, we do it under both Fannie Mae as well as um, Harry London. And uh, that, that's a great opportunity for us for, for two reasons. One, private label in general is a growing segment, as a lot of retailers are trying to use private label to um, segment uh, their brand, make points of differentiation. And for us, it also allows us to really keep our plants um, at full capacity. Um, so we look for opportunities that offset um, our branded peak business. Sure. And you guys in particular, and I find it fascinating, the whole, uh, the whole kind of um, private label, if you will. I mean, do people come to you with their own recipes or do they say, hey, you know, um, you know, Harry London, will you kind of whip something up and see if it, you know, fits what we're looking for? Is that kind of how that goes? I'm just curious. It's a little bit of both. Um, predominantly, they come to us because they, they, they know we, we're very good at what we do. And um, and so yes, they usually have some ideas of things that they would like to um, try from a recipe standpoint of view. Right. Um, and then you know it, it then becomes more a collaboration between us. And that whole process has got that. That's not something that happens overnight. I mean, you've got the test kitchens and the. I know you guys are you know the the scientists there, and it, not to make it sound crazy, but you guys are coming up constantly with. Uh, with new flavors and flavor combinations. So um, that's something that takes time, right, over a period of time to kind of really come up with a new flavor or a private label flavor for somebody, no? Oh, for sure. It, you know, we, well, again, this is why another reason why people come to us is because they know we we test all the time and, and right. they're trying to gain some of that learning and, and avoid some of the pitfalls that they would have on their own if they tried to do some of the things that they come to us for. Sure, sure. And one of the things I mentioned in the intro to this segment was during World War II, Fannie Mae stuck with its exact recipe, making it making only what it could, which often meant you know closing shops early because no more candy was available. Right. I know you're proud to say that Fannie Mae brand still follows those exact recipes from the old days. Is that is that pretty much a good a fair statement? Those those it's same recipes are in, in use now. No, that's that's absolutely a fair statement. Um, and then, again, we we do not compromise, and that's what people, you know, why people trust us. That's why we've been around for ninety five years, is we've built up that trust. Right, and that's and again, that's that's so hard to come by these these days when everybody kind of flies flies by night uh, in and out, and there's just that Harry London Fannie Mae brands just solid as a rock. Now, at the most recent uh, fanny, uh, fancy food show in New York City, I had the opportunity to admire your new packaging line, uh, which I know you guys are quite proud of, which, by the way, is our ditchtheboxes.com website, by the way. So click on the radio show link and look for the guest tab, and you can see pictures of the new Fannie Mae uh, brand's packaging. But can you tell us a little bit more about how that kind of new packaging evolved, if you will, Kevin? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, I think it's from an interesting um, from a listener's perspective, I think um, this will probably make a lot of sense when they hear it. Um, but the, when you look at um, the consumer and understand how they shop, in the confection industry, there's really four buckets of purchasing behaviors that, that surround the consumer um, 
need, if you will. One is it's a self-consumption. I want to purchase something for me. And the second bucket of purchase behavior um, centers around sharing. They want to um, bring some chocolate to a meeting or they just want to bring it to their home and put it out for people to um, take from. And the third bucket is an everyday gift line, you know, um, happy birthday, congratulations, anniversary, etc. And then the, the last bucket is seasonal, you know, Christmas, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day. And so it's important to understand um, where consumers go um, to purchase those um, four different types of, of intentions, and which then moves that purchasing into channels of distribution. Um, and those channels of distribution have very distinctive requirements in terms of packaging, space that you're allowed for shelves, right. and also consumer price points that, that uh, kind of drive their intentions. And so what we, we um, have developed is um, the new lines that, that you mentioned that you saw at a fancy food show were a new lineup for our self and shared consumption um, purchasing behaviors, which for the most part, um, that product is sold in food, drug, and mass, C-store channels. Those are the channels that drive most of self and shared consumption. And again, the, the, the preferences that co- the consumers look at when they're making those types of um, selections are very different than when they're looking at making a purchase for gift as an example. Interesting. That, that the whole thing is fascinating because if I if I heard you correctly, you you kind of um, almost reverse engineered that in a little bit. You kind of said, "Hey, this is this is where it's going to be sold," like you're saying this these shared consumption if you will, and you kind of built your packaging around that. Did I hear that right? That's correct. That's exactly yeah, right. That's- that's that's the one thing, and I'm uh, being in the packaging business in my quote unquote real job. Um, it's fascinating that a lot of times, and I think you and I chat, chatted a little bit about this at the Fancy Food Show. So often, companies think of packaging at the very last minute. They um, they come up with these great recipes. I don't care whether it's granola or chocolate or whatever, and they think of packaging at the last minute, and they go, I don't know. How do you? What are you going to do with it, Kevin? I don't, I don't know. How about you, Dave? Why don't you get something for it? And um, and that really can kill uh, any momentum that a company has. You can have the greatest thing in the world, but if your packaging stinks and your product isn't isn't uh, accentuated, if you will, or doesn't look uh, as nice as it should look, then you can forget about shared consumption or any kind of consumption because you're dead in the water. And um, and the fact that that you guys look at packaging um, from such a, an elevated level is is very refreshing for for a guy like me. Um, because that's really, it's so important, especially at that retail level, when you've got somebody that really and truly is going to look at that packaging first to kind of see, Hey, I want to look further and see what the chocolate is like. Oh, there's, there's, there's a lot to it. I mean, as again, you start with the consumer and you, you really have to understand what is going on in the minds of the consumer. How are they looking at the selection and you know, what's driving that selection purchase? And we've did a lot of research on this that, you know, this wasn't just a gut feel. I mean, we really right. did spend a lot of time trying to understand this. And then you've got to look at the competition, and you've got to look at um, where you believe you you are need to be positioned within the marketplace. And there's a whole bunch of other factors that go into it um, before you you've got something that you feel really comfortable will that will um, be successful out in the marketplace. 
And again, this I've got to believe, like you were just saying before, this isn't like a gut feel kind of, hey, let's go ahead and change all of our packaging. But um, you know, these kind of things, just like we were talking about coming up with flavors and, and recipes, these things take time. What kind of a, you know, did you meet with focus groups? Were you kind of, um, you know, getting, because there's there's a whole philosophy out there, and I know you're well aware of this, Kevin, is that, you know, colors and color schemes and, you know, what was that like for a company your size? That that can't be easy to kind of get and corral all these these things together, if you will, to kind of pull this together. This is a major overhaul. Yeah, you're right. I mean, but there were, there's not just one area you go to. For sure, consumer research is a key component of it. Right. There's also a, you know, this industry data that uh, will give you inf- that will give you some some insight into um, trends that are going on. There's, you know, there's um, even you know the going to the fancy food show, as you know, you mentioned before. And you're walking the shows and seeing what's new in the marketplace, whether it's ingredients, whether it's packaging. Right. There's many different areas to get um, insight from. And then at the, at the end of the day, it's also important you understand what your brand is and, um, and how do you bring that message to the market. And when do you set the market um, versus following what the market's doing. So there's a, there's a number of facets to really consider before you you're finally at a point where you say, we think we've got it right. Now, as the, the president and CEO, we're talking, by the way, with Kevin Cohen, president and CEO of Fannie Mae Brands. Um, Kevin, real quick, how often would you even consider changing your packaging? Um, I mean, I know, um, is there a timetable? Is it something every five years? Is there an industry standard being in that the candy and chocolate and confection business? I mean, you know that better than I do. Is that something people turn on a regular basis? Well, another very good question. I mean, one of the, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, I would say. The fact that we've been around for 95 years, people come to know us and they get very, very familiar with the look and feel of the brand. So sure. it's an, always an area that you've got to be very careful about, that you don't push the envelope but now because customers are starting to question who you are. And so, no, it's not something you do all the time. But you've got to be selective in the areas that you do have to move the brand forward because we're also dealing with younger customers who are now um, coming into the brand and just learning about the brand and have different values and different purchasing behaviors than people that are who've been familiar with the brand and 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 know it um a, a certain way so there's 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 a lot of elements as i said that really go into um changes and and uh in what where you make the changes and why you make the changes and also to go into it understanding that um, you're going to learn no matter how much research you, you've done. You've got to really monitor um, coming out of the gate, if you will, how the consumers are responding. And props to you guys, because a lot of times I see it in my my little world of packaging um, that some companies can never pull the trigger, Kevin. Some companies can never um, you know, they're constantly kind of thinking about changing their packaging or thinking about kind of redoing their brand, um, their brand look, their brand promise, whatever it may be, and they don't get around to it. And you guys did a major overhaul, and it, by the way, it's beautiful. 
Well, um, and folks, I, I strongly urge you to go to our website, ditchtheboxes.com, and click on the radio show tab. And then the, under guests, you'll see some pictures. Um, you did a really, really nice job with it. But let me ask you a follow-on question to that, Kevin, if I may. Um, as you know, I'm in the, the printed flexible packaging business, stand-up pouches, barrier bags. and In fact, even the show is Ditch the Box. But it's very interesting to note that all chocolate, well, premium chocolate, like Fannie Mae, Harry London, is done with boxes, set-up boxes, folding cartons, even metal tins. Is this the result of just the way it's always been done or in your research and packaging redesign? Was this the type of packaging the candy and chocolate industry really kind of requires? Well, I think the short answer is yes. Um, You know, and the reason for it is that, you know, it's a perishable. And so that you've got to be really sensitive to what makes that product so um, so compelling is the is the um, the taste, the ingredients, the, right. the freshness that comes out of it, and so so you've got to really make sure that the protection of that product um, is is key, um, so that it's almost you know ideally you want the consumer to almost feel like it just came off of the the production line, True. Um, and so yeah, so the 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 packaging is a key component of, of perishable products. It's also, and it's, you know, and, 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 not just taste, but it's also the, the construction of the product, the delicacies of the product. So it's a very sensitive product from, from a lot of respects, and it kind of limits you, if you will, to some degree in terms of um, the protection of it. But, um, but, uh, but it's key, again, at the, at the end of the day, if you're trying to deliver a great product and great experience. Well, I think you touched on something, too, that a lot of companies do not take into um, account, too, is the protection of the product. Packaging looks great, gets someone's attention at the store store level, if you will. But if that product inside is not protected, you got one shot to make a good impression. And if that chocolate is damaged, um, if that chocolate doesn't look uh, to be what you intended it to, to be like, um, then we all know, Kevin, that you can forget about it. You got one shot and they're not coming back. That's so, correct. and again, you got to protect the product on the inside as well as make it look nice, if you will, on the outside. So let's chat, you guys, uh, a little bit more about this 95th year anniversary. Tell us what the celebrations are like. Tell us what uh, what all kinds of fun stuff you guys have going on because it's a pretty big deal. 95 is not easy to come by in this day and age. No, it's not, and and uh, we respect it. I mean, we we. You know, we're the gatekeepers of this particular um, stage of growth, if you will, but, um, and we respect it. So the people that are involved with our, um, with our brand today um, are very mindful of the fact of where we came from, and we don't want to um, and ever lose sight of, of, of uh, the work that was done 95 years ago, because you can probably tell from my voice I'm not 95, but <laughs> some, some days I feel like I'm getting there. Um, Welcome to my world, man. Welcome. <laughs> but we have a lot of um, we have a lot of things that we're doing. You know, a lot of um, I think fun things that we're doing, whether it's social media or just recognizing, um, you know, the customers who have been faithful for us for for many many years. Um, having them come into our store, make a purchase of ten dollars or more, and get a, a free sample box of our products. Um, we've got um, a lot of activation events that we're doing. In fact, um, we most recently um, signed a deal with the, uh, the Chicago Cubs 
Yep. And uh, we've been actively involved with um, different programs we're doing in, um, with them inside their stadium and outside their stadium um, as part of the celebration as well, and that's going extremely well. Um, but um, we, and we've also come up with some very special products this year that really kind of harkens back to the original designs of, of um, a product many years ago and bringing it um, forward in a kind of a retro way, recognizing, you know, kind of a, you know, a look to the past and uh, look to the, in, in a look forward into the future. And some really um, uh, very special products designed um, that we will introduce throughout the year as part of this uh, celebration, if you will. And, and knowing that it's it, the the official chocolate company of the Chicago Cubs, um, did I hear that correct? I mean, that's, that's correct. That you can't get you can't get it. to me as a closeted Cubs fan. Um, you can't get any better than marrying up with the Chicago Cubs. That's for sure. Well, we we see them as an iconic brand in Chicago, and we see Fannie Mae the same way. And so I think Beautiful. it's a great way to pull the two iconic brands together. Because they are brands. Uh, this isn't right. just a sports team or this isn't just a chocolate company. Right. These are very special brands that people grew up with and have a lot of respect and, you know, take ownership of. I mean, this is Chicago and this is, sure. you know, these brands are very, very important to them. So we think it's been a great marriage. That's it's, and I think I think you're you're definitely onto something there, man. Now, at the heart of all of this, Fannie Mae Brands, of course, even us at ABC Packaging Direct and StandUpPouches dot net, is marketing. And you and I, of course, we talked about meeting at the Fancy Food Show, and both of us have been around the block a few times. But can you share your thoughts on how marketing has affected your business? Meaning. Everything nowadays is not like when our parents were around, Kevin. This is real time and instant access and e-commerce and virtual tours. How has Fannie Mae Brands embraced these new marketing techniques and challenges? Was it is it easy? Is it difficult? Is it an ongoing process, if you will? Um, it's a big question. Um, well, again, you, you go back to um, what is sacred to the brand, and that's the the quality of the product. Um, and not compromising on 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 any aspect of production ingredients and what you bring forward to the marketplace, you can never lose sight that that's the most important piece that you have. That's your equity. I think the marketing piece is, you know, we're we're very privileged, I guess, if you want to look at it from that respect, is that there are many brands out there who try to find stories. They try to have to make up things. Um, you guys don't to, have to. to. To make some noise in the marketplace, and that's not the case with us. It's a, matter of, it's a matter of really understanding who we are talking to, what channel of business they are making those purchases from, and really trying to make sure that we connect the dots sure. um, without losing you know, the essence of really what we're all about. Kevin, this has been a real thrill for me and our audience. I'm so glad you could join us today. Folks, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to discuss what's happening in our world of marketing and retail packaging. Kevin, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You've got a great product. 
and it's now on the store shelves at all the major big box retailers. So what's the problem? You are getting squeezed. Cost reductions are demanded from the retailers, and they are not letting up. So what are you going to do? You can give in and watch your margins disappear and hope you can make them up with other clients or with other products. You can say no and watch the retailers make deals with your competitors. Or you could say yes, because you've discovered a way to increase your margins and even get lost margins back. At StandUpPouches.net, we live and breathe flexible retail packaging. We have factories that can run as few as 5,000 pieces and scale to millions without any change in quality. We are ISO 9000 and ISO 14000 approved and offer complete supply chain solutions using our Ohio warehouse. Your retail packaging is the voice of your brand. Don't use inferior packaging. Choose packaging that not only protects, but keeps products fresher for longer while building your brand. To learn more, visit us at www.standuppouches.net or call us at 866-440-2123. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The bottom line in business talk. What is the Serve Hour? Well, to start, it's a different kind of listening experience. It's one that involves you. Host Jim Blackburn and his engaging guests in some very provocative and opinion-shaping conversations you'll hear and be invited to participate in that will challenge traditional beliefs about management and today's workplace. Also, these conversations will help you look at yourself and your work differently. Make it your business to tune into Voice America Business for The Serve Hour, live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time. It will shake you awake. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you'd like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now, back to Ditch the Box. Welcome back to Ditch the Box, and thanks for joining us for our second segment of the day. Now, normally... Only we start our shows with the news of the week. However, since we're fortunate to have Kevin Cohen from Fannie Mae Brands, we started him first. So now this week's news. Some of the brands and companies you'll hear about, Campbell's, Nestle's, Whole Foods, and Albertsons. Today's news brought to you by bakeryandsnacks.com, Pet E-News, Specialty Food News, Just Food Publication, and the news service 
Reuters. Ten years ago, if, you, if one was to ask food and beverage executives about the future of the American consumer, few could have foreseen how swift and unforgiving change has become. Americans have, with their purchases or with lack thereof, propelled a dramatic shift in the landscape, less an evolution than a leap in history that took place seemingly in the blink of an eye. More and more, buyers examine labels with critical eye. They know what ingredients they want and ones to avoid. They seek out healthy, natural, and better-for-you products and increasingly bypass established brands in favor of new and innovative ones. The shift is evident in so many of the quarterly reports, investor presentations issued by old guard food and beverage conglomerates, including Campbell's Soup Company. Instead of ahead of its Institutional Investor Day, Campbell this week outlined a range of plans to stimulate sluggish sales, including an increase of its organic offerings, greater access to information about its ingredients and how its food and beverages are made and a continued expansion to a grocery store perimeters, which are often a haven for fresh and refrigerated products. For Campbell, strengthening its core business is at the heart of all change. And far from abandoning its well-known brands, the company is leaning on long-established name equity as a way to continue the conversion with consumers. V8-infused water, that includes V8. And Campbell has, Campbell's has, over the past year, leveraged widespread familiarity of the brand to launch a new product lines in a variety of categories. Along with a line of protein-packed drinks and another that emulates trendy super premium juice blends, albeit pasteurized in a more affordable offering, Campbell recently released a new set of all-natural enhanced waters that bear the V8 brand. V8-infused water, which comes in three varieties, cucumber lime, black cherry pomegranate, and mandarin orange ginger, each made with 25% juice and include the equivalent nutritional value of a full serving of vegetables. The line launched in May and is currently being test marketed in Target and Walgreens across the U.S. Beverages retail for a buck ninety-nine per 16-ounce bottle. Most almond growers in California are relying increasingly on groundwater, but excess salt levels are harming the trees and the almonds themselves. With no rainfall traveling through the soil to remove the salt from the groundwater, what's left of limited water supply to substitute the lack of surface water from the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta is filled with salt. Smaller nuts and salt-burned leaves are among the effects which the Almond Board of California is working to remedy through funding for salinity and water quality research and educating growers in a region of the problem. Almond doctors, if you will, are available to farmers across the state to teach them how to grow their crops safely and efficiently. Growers are are instructed to dilute the groundwater with extra irrigation water, but without rainfall, the almond crop will will continue to shrink. The Almond Board projects almond crop yields to drop 4% this year, according to NPR. Whole Foods Market on Wednesday said same-store sales growth cooled again in the third quarter, hurt by competition in an overcharging scandal in its New York stores, and its shares tumbled by 11% in after-hours trading. The Austin, Texas-based chain same-store sales, same-store sales, closely watched performance gauge for retailers were up just 1.3% for the quarter end of July 5th, far less than a 2.8% gain expected by analysts pulled by consensus metrics. 
The sales rose 3.6% in the second quarter and 4.5% in the first quarter. The rapid deceleration is troubling for investors who have wondered how long Whole Foods could maintain its grip on the natural and organic grocery category it pioneered and long dominated. Early this month, an investigation by New York, New York Department of Consumer Affairs found that Whole Foods charged too much for some prepackaged foods at company's nine New York stores. Executives who have apologized to shoppers said they are working to rebuild trust after national media attention hurt the sales around the country. Third quarter, net income rose 2% to $154 million, or $0.43 cents per share, missing Wall Street's estimate. Whole Foods also dialed down its 2015 same-store sales forecast and now expects growth in the low single-digit percentages versus its prior call for growth in the low to mid-single-digit percentages. Its forecast for fourth quarter earnings of 34 to 35 cents per share also fell short of analyst estimate of 38 cents per share. Executives in May attributed the slowdown to competition from mainstream and specialty retailers and severe cannibalization from the company's own stores in some areas. It's responding with its new chain of smaller stores that target millennials and value-oriented shoppers. Called 365 by Whole Foods Market, it's a nod to the company's lower-cost private label brand. The company said it signed four leases for 365 stores and that it plans to convert one Whole Foods Market to the new concept. The first 365 store will debut in Los Angeles's hipper neighborhood of Silver Lake. Other stores slated for Santa Monica, California, Santa Monica, California, Portland, Oregon, Houston, and Bellevue, Washington. Whole Foods plans to open up to five 365 stores in the second half of 2006. Cahey Distribution was selected by Albertsons Companies as the primary distribution partner for specialty, natural and organic, and fresh products to its nationwide network of more than 2,200 grocery stores. Albertsons currently operates stores in 33 states in the District of Columbia. The move significantly expands the business ex- existing business relationship between the two companies. Cahey will distribute products across the country with a focus on the western U.S., The news comes just over a week after distributor United National Foods, Inc. announced the early termination of its contract with the retailer. UNFI, or UNFI's, revenue from Albertsons for the fiscal year, August 1st, was expected to be about $410 million. Cahey did not release any financial information regarding its new partnership. Cahey completed construction of a new distribution center in Northern California and plans to update distribution centers in Portland, Oregon and Flower Mound, Texas. These infrastructure upgrades will grant both companies the capacity necessary to distribute products successfully to locations across the country. Big corporations are joining the fight against climate change, with Cargill the latest signatory to sign a pledge. The agricultural giant committed to increasing efforts to limit greenhouse gas emissions and support upcoming international negotiations. Cargill also introduced new goals for addressing climate change by 2020 as part of its American Business Act on Climate Pledge. Many organizations and businesses, including the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the National Association of Manufacturers, continue to insist climate change is not man-made, protesting new environmental protection agency rules that state greenhouse gas emissions come from coal-fired electric plants. The White House hopes to support a large support of large companies will shine a spotlight on the issue and encourage others to get involved. Senior Obama administrative official 
Brian Deese said the administration wants the 13 signatories to encourage companies in their supply chains to participate. Other food-related companies that signed the pledge include Alcoa, Coca-Cola, Google, PepsiCo, and Walmart. The White House expects these companies to set goals, which will be verified by private groups and corporate auditors, reported the Star Tribune. Merrick Pet Care has signed an agreement for Nestle's Purina Pet Care Company to purchase the company from its private equity owner, Swander Pace Capital. Terms were not disclosed. With SuperZoo Super as the backdrop, Merrick founder Garth Merrick said, I believe Nestle Purina is the right company to take what I, along with others, have built to the next level. I'm proud my name will continue to be on the door as we remain committed to making the best food for the best pets ever. Merrick is one of the fastest-growing natural and organic pets, pet companies in the industry and will continue to operate as an independent business with no planned changes to its management or operations. Merrick has more than 350 employees located primarily in Texas, Amarillo, Texas, and Evanston, Illinois. The natural dog company of Windsor, Colorado, USA is recalling 12-ounce bags of 12-inch Trametta Sticks pet shoes because they have the potential to cause to, to be contaminated with sal- salmonella. The recalled 12-inch tremendous sticks were distributed to retail stores in California, Colorado, Florida, Illinois, Missouri, Montana, North Carolina, Ohio, Utah, and Washington. The recalled product comes in a 12-ounce bag with a lot number or expiration expiration date with UP some UPC number 8512650457. No illnesses have been reported to date in connection with this problem. Netherlands-based Paragon Pet Products, Europe BV, has filed a lawsuit accusing Mars of deceiving or misleading dog owners with a claim that its Greenies dental chews are the number one vet-recommended dental chew. Paragon says the claim is unsubstantiated and false. A footnote on the back panel of the packaging suggests that Greenies is not, in fact, recommended by most or even a plurality of veterinarians. On July 20th, a judge hearing the case in Southern District of New York, Paul Engelmeyer, granted Paragon's application for an order directing Mars to produce all substantiation, i.e. documents, reports, studies, data, emails, and so forth, for the claim, the number one vet-recommended dental chew. A hearing has been set for July 28th to consider next steps, including Paragon's request for preliminary injunctive relief. According to a new product launch, data from Mintel, potato chips remain a large portion of snack launches in the U.S., representing 34.35 of all launches in 2014, but launches have dropped from 44 to 44.87% in 2010. In this period, tortilla chips have overtaken potato chips as the subcategory with the highest level of NPD, 35.97% of all snack launches in the U.S. in 2014 were tortilla chips. Similarly, veggie chip launches have grown significantly significantly from representing just 1.93% in 2010 to 16.77% in 2014. Bean-based snacks grew slightly from 3% to 3.39%, and cassava and other root veggie snacks were up a bit from 2.7% to 2.74% in 2014. Mary Mogaleski, global food analyst at Mintel, said consumers have become more sophisticated and global in their eating habits. 
prompting consumption pattern changes and a blurring lines between regional snacks. Seaweed, for example, has become more acceptable in Western snack markets, but only as a topping on other snacks, but also a snack of its own. Similarly, tortilla chips, which originated with distinctively Latin American and Southwestern United States, have become popular in Europe and Asia as well. In terms of potato chip alternatives, Megolensky said a number of ingredients were hot competition. A number of other veggies of other vegetables are competing with potatoes as salty snacks, including sweet potato, beet, and carrot. While these products have been in some markets for years, the U.S. and U.K., for example, have seen a range of vegetables become very popular as other markets are slower to adapt. This is off the press. Super Value is exploring a Save a Lot spinoff. Super Value on Tuesday said it has begun preparation for potential public spinoff of its Save a Lot business. The move could help Super Value cash in a momentum from its most profitable division and allow the Minneapolis-based company to focus on its core business, retail banners, and its independent distribution centers. Over the past two and a half years, Save-A-Lot has repositioned its brand, refocused its efforts on fresh produce and meat, and re-merchandised its stores and product offerings to better appeal to a broader group of customers, said Sam Duncan, Super Value's president and CEO. Today's announcement reflects our commitment to continuing to explore ways to maximize value for our shareholders. We believe a separation of our Save-A-Lot business could allow Save-A-Lot, our independent business, and our retail food banners to better focus on their respective operations and pursue strategies specific to their business characteristics and growth potentials for the benefit of our shareholders, customers, licensees, and employees. U.S. Food and Drug Administration has proposed including the percentage daily value for added sugars on the nutrition facts label used in the country. 2014, FDA set out plans to include the amount of added sugars in grams without information on a daily value expressed in percentages. The revision follows a recommendation earlier this year from a committee advising the U.S. government on the next iteration of the dietary guidelines for Americans, which are official nutrition information updated every five years. Among its recommendations, the Dietary Guidelines for American Committee said the nutrition facts front of pack label nutrition should include added sugars in grams and and teaspoons and include a percentage daily value to assist consumers in identifying the amount of added sugar in volumes and and foods and beverages and making informed dietary decisions. It also called for consumers to cut their intake of added sugars to no more than 10% of the daily energy intake. Earlier this month, Mead Johnson, the U.S. Infant Formula Group, issued a profit warning due in part to its waning sales in Asia, and most notably in China, one of the company's most important markets. Low dairy costs and downbeat consumer sentiment, combined with ongoing efforts by domestic companies to sharpen up their acts, have sparked fierce discounting in China's infant formula sector. And Mead Johnson sales have suffered as it's weighed up when and how to enter the fray and decided to fight on price in a more limited fashion than some of its competitors. When the Enfamil maker announced the second quarter half-year results yesterday, the bulk of the questions from analysts were, unsurprisingly, on Mead Johnson's performance in China and how long the company saw the competitive conditions persisting in on recent investments in areas such as baby stores and e-commerce. Among Mead Johnson's management, there was some uncertainty on how long the heightened competitive activity 
Alas, but the company's senior team insisted it was investing for the long term in what President Casper Jacobson described as still a fantastic opportunity. Amplify snack brands, the U.S. business behind brands including Skinny Pop Popcorn and Papwill Tortilla Chips, has set out plans to go public. The company, majority owned by private equity firm TA Associates, is offering 15 million shares in the flotation. The selling shareholders have also granted the underwriters of the IPO a 30-day option to buy up to two and a quarter million additional shares. The IPO is expected to be between $14 and $16 a share. The selling stockholders include TA Associates and co-founder Andy Friedman will receive all the proceeds from the listing. Funds and entities affiliated with TA Associates are expected to hold more than 50% of the voting power in the business when it is listed finally. When the IPO is completed, the selling shareholders will own around 77.2% of Amplify's outstanding common stock, or approximately 74.2% if the underwriters exercise the option to purchase additional shares. A date for the IPO has not been disclosed, and the company would not comment beyond what is stated in the listing prospectus. TA Associates invested in Skinny Pop last year. In April, the popcorn maker added tortilla and tortilla chips business Pacqui to its business. Coca Joy adds to coconut range in the U.S. Coconut water brand Coco Joy has extended into other categories, including milks and oils in the U.S. The brand, owned by Middle East-based conglomerate FAL Group, said it was looking into the tap the market of consumer interest in coconut as a major ingredient. As consumers in the U.S. and around the globe continue to recognize the health benefits of the coconut, we are proud to offer a complete coconut product line with our family of all-natural Coco Joy products, CEO of the group, FAL Group Beverages Unit, had said. The company is adding coconut milks, oils, flour, sugar, and snacks to its range of beverages. The U.S. House of Representatives has backed a bill that blocks moves to introduce mandatory labeling of food containing genetically modified ingredients, or GMOs. The Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act was passed by 275 votes to 150 yesterday, pleasing industry organizations that oppose calls for compulsory labels and want a voluntary federal measure to take precedence over moves from individual states to introduce binding legislation locally. States, including Vermont, have tried or are attempting to introduce mandatory labels. A federal approach to food labeling remains the only way to ensure that Americans everywhere can access accurate information about the food they purchase. Pamela Bailey, president and CEO of industry body Grocery Manufacturers Association, said, We now call on the U.S. Senate to move quickly on a companion bill and pass it this year. However, there is dismay among opponents of the bill, which has in some quarters been dubbed Deny Americans the Right to Know Act or DARK Act. It was outrageous that the House of Lawmakers voted to ignore the wishes of 9 out of 10 Americans, said Scott Farber, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at the Environmental Working Group, NGO, Campaigning on Public Health and Environment, said. Today's vote to deny Americans the right to know what's in their food and how it's grown was a foregone conclusion. The House was bought and paid for by the corporate interest, so it's no surprise that it passed the bill to block states and the FBA, FDA from giving consumers basic information about their food. 
Haynes Celestial has announced the acquisition of plant-based food and beverages maker Mona, which operates facilities in Germany and Australia. Mona, based in Australia, sells organic and natural products under the Joya and Happy brands, including soy, oat, rice, and nut-based drinks, as well as plant-based yogurts, desserts, creamers, and tofu. The company also manufactures private label products sold across Europe. In 2014, Mona approximately U.S. sales of $50 million in net sales and is expected to be accredited to a Haine Celestial's earnings in fiscal year of 2016. With the acquisition, Haine Celestial will have three facilities in Europe, including plant-based beverages, two in Germany, one in Austria, serving the European market. Mona is owned by several venture capital groups and members of current and former management. We're excited to the acquisition of Mona, which expands our presence in plant-based offerings in Europe, solidifying our leadership position in the category. The acquisition increases the sale of our plant-based operations to over 100 million net sales in Europe in a growing category of branded and private label products, while providing us with additional manufacturing capacity, said Erwin Simon, President and CEO of Haines Celestial. Mona also presents us with the opportunity to expand our European product offering, into Austria, Germany, and other Central and Eastern European countries, including the Czech Republic, Hungary, Romania, Serbia, and Slovakia. We plan to create sales opportunities with plant-based beverages and yogurt, which we have successfully introduced in the United States, expand the refrigerated category into desserts, extend the reach of our global brands, and leverage our existing infrastructure. Folks, that's it for today's show. I would like to thank our, my, my producer, Jamie Berling. I'd like to thank our executive producer back in Ground Zero, that is Winston Winnie Price, and everybody at Voice America. Folks, don't forget, until next time, remember, it's your product. Package it properly. Stay tuned, everyone. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Please join David Maranak for another great show next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 